Welcome, everybody, to episode 36 of The Hopeful Majority. I hope you're having a great Monday. Importantly, I hope your Super Bowl hangover is just all right. It was an amazing game. I hope you enjoyed your Sunday. But the week starts. The world goes on. The Hopeful Majority continues. Remember, every Monday, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, we come out with a conversation and an episode. Now, we're going to do a little bit different uh, starting this episode. So usually, if you're new to the show, what we have is we have a conversation with a fascinating guest where we try to demonstrate the nuance and complex nature of our politics. We talk about the various issues that unite us, that divide us. We try to have nuanced conversations as opposed to outrageous hot takes. One of the things I want to start doing is every month, in addition to those conversations, I want to have one episode focus on what my perspective is on a couple of relevant news stories. And importantly, the news stories that actually implicate the hopeful majority, those news stories that show us how divided we are, but importantly, also the hope in how we can actually start to bring this country together. And so today is the start of that specific episode series. And we're going to have three stories today. Super Bowl, got to talk about the Super Bowl, and yes, Taylor Swift, the border crisis, but specifically the bipartisan border bill that's going through Congress right now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we're going to get there. And third is Tucker Carlson interviewing Putin. Now you're like, three stories. How do we tie these together? We're going to get into it. Stay tuned. Let's get right into my takes on these three stories and importantly, how the hopeful majority can respond. Let's cue it. So the three stories are Super Bowl, the bipartisan border bill that's going through Congress, and Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin. Now, what is our take on all of this? Because importantly, these are three stories that are happening, three things that have happened or are progressing. Some of them are political. The Super Bowl has nothing to do with politics, and that's actually the reason why we're talking about it. The border crisis and the Texas border bill, what can we learn from that? And Tucker Carlson interviewing Putin. So here's the deal. Super Bowl. Here's what I took away from the Super Bowl. Here's why I think the Super Bowl is particularly relevant to this moment that we are in our country's political history. The Super Bowl is the one event in our country when you show up, you're not thinking about Trump-Biden, you're not thinking about who you're voting for, you're not thinking about whether or not this fans are Republican-Democrat. All you're thinking about is, I'm going to cheer for my team, and importantly, we all love this game, we're going to have a great time, and maybe some beer thrown on top of that. That's the Super Bowl. In fact, the Super Bowl is about creating an identity bigger than our politics. It's an identity that brings a lot of people together from a lot of different backgrounds, ethnicities, demographics. It's what I call a unifying event in America. And I think sports broadly is about that. And in fact, you might say, how is this tied to somebody like Taylor Swift? I think actually Taylor Swift does a very similar thing. Taylor Swift's brand, the Swifty gang, is not about politics. It's not about left, right. It's not about blue, green. It's about liking her music and everybody getting behind her music. When Taylor Swift shows up to a town in the middle of the country, 70,000 people descend on that town and they all are cheering for something bigger than themselves. It's about building an identity and a brand. The Super Bowl, I think, is particularly relevant because the fact that you're actually able to create this identity at this highly divided time around football, this identity where people of different backgrounds get together and actually focus on something that has nothing to do with their specific political identities. And we see this across society, you know, whether you play poker, you know, whether you paint, whether you're part of a group. But the problem in American society, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think over the last 20 years, you've seen a decrease, a decline in these instances of civic interactions, these instances of interactions that actually bring people together. 
you know, in the 60s, 70s, you used to have constant areas and places where people are always meeting in the earlier decades in American society. And yet what's happening now is growing isolation, growing disconnection. And importantly, you're seeing a breakdown in people's ability to actually see past their differences. And slowly what's happening is that our political party labels, as I think things like religion decrease in society, that you might think is a good thing, but the fact is that it used to be an identity. Religion decreases. The fact that you got other associations decreasing. There are few and fewer places in society and in American politics where people of different backgrounds and different beliefs actually share something common. They hold something common. And the Super Bowl is that experience. The Super Bowl reminds us that we have more in common and not just more in common, but the Super Bowl is an example of an identity that exists above our politics. And I think that's actually something we're trying to do with the hopeful majority. The point of of naming this group of people is that I think that there's a majority of people in the country that are not incredibly polarized, that are not incredibly closed-minded, that probably have really strong beliefs and yet are willing to see debate, dialogue. They're willing to, you know, listen to each other, talk to each other. I know it's shocking, especially at the moment that we are in our country, and yet I think most people actually want that. Most people want discourse and dialogue. And a lot of people that don't care about politics still want our politicians to solve our problems. To put, you know, problems of a party, you know, to try and focus on the progress of the country. Again, shocking things to say and yet things that people want. And so I bring up the Super Bowl because I think it's an example of what we ought to be building, which is how can we create events in American society, moments in American society that exist above our individual party labels. And the hopeful majority is an example of that and something we're going to keep building. And importantly, we're going to need you to do it. So story number two, the bipartisan bill going through the Senate and the House about immigration. Now, for some context, there's obvi- there, there's a crisis happening on the U.S. border, specifically concentrated in Texas. If you've seen anything in the news at all, if you are more on the progressive side, you'll see that there's a lot of folks on the right that are making a ton of issues around what's happening on the border. If you're on the right, you're seeing that there's a, a problem with asylum claims, and you're seeing an overwhelming population of immigrants on the border. The fact is that most people, I think, at this point in our politics in our country, there's some sort of problem. There might be disagreement on the level of problem, the scale of problem. There's a problem. So why do I bring this up? Well, there's a bill now going through Congress. Again, bipartisan acts at the federal level, very hard to come by at this very divided time. So a couple of senators have gotten together. They're trying to get this bill across the uh, across the floor. This bill is about tying aid to the border to aid to Ukraine, to aid to Israel. It's a giant package. And the idea is that the Democrats are giving some concessions on the border, whereas the Republicans are giving some concessions on U.S. foreign aid abroad. Now, regardless of what you think about the substance of the bill, here's, here's why I'm covering this. There's a bipartisan act happening in Congress right now that is led by Republicans, really conservative Republicans, not what you might call your rhinos. And you got really liberal senators on the left leading this effort. So you got real ideologues coming together to try and solve a problem. So you're saying, well, Manu, what's the catch? What's the catch? It seems like there's a good story this far. The catch is, well, the bill's struggling. The bill's struggling to get across the floor. Why? It's because President Trump has said that, you know, we don't want this bill to happen. We don't want the bill to take place. Now, here's a little bit of inside politics. The reason why he doesn't want this bill to pass is because it would actually complicate his ability to run for president and win because the bill is a direct solution or an attempt at a solution to the border crisis. The president wants to run, the former president wants to run on the issue because he wants to make the case that 
President Biden, the Democrats have foregone their responsibilities at the border. It's his big issue. And in fact, on the Republican side, it's the number one polling issue. The reason why I think this is relevant is because, and while the story specifically focuses on President Trump and the right, broadly speaking, we are living in a moment where our incentive structures around getting elected incentivize us to not solve problems or put off solutions to problems because we got to win the next election. We are seeing an active bill in Congress that is bipartisan, that makes real strides towards solutions that people on the left and the right want as it relates to the border. And yet it's not going through because the former president's got to run a primary and got to win a general election. And this is just one example of what happens across the board. Our politics get in the way of our ability to solve problems. And the more and more we let that happen, the more and more we incentivize our politicians to focus on politics as opposed to solving our problems, nothing will change. And the reason for the hopeful majority is because we got to empower the majority of people who want our damn problems solved. I wanted to bring this because there is an example of people in Congress, in government, actually working to try to solve damn problems, and yet we're not getting them solved. And the reason for it is our polarization and our toxic discourse, which prevents us and our leaders from actually understanding that we can make real headway on these issues, that America's not lost, that our issues are not lost, that it's not for not. If you actually want younger people like myself to have faith in our government, we got to try to solve our problems. We got to show that our system rewards things that are more substantive than just flame throwing and bomb throwing on Twitter. Because right now, if you ask somebody that doesn't want to touch politics as a 10-foot pole, describe politics to me, they'll probably say something like, it's a crazy shit show with very little things that actually get done. And all you see is craziness on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram. And all you see are these politicians posturing. But that's not the case. There's a lot of good people trying to get really good work done. But... If our democracy and our system rewards the wrong thing, if it rewards playing politics as opposed to problem solving, then what do we got? So how can the hopeful majority help? How can you help? Here's how you can help. You vote. You vote, right? Well, the question is, what are you voting for? Right now, the way we cast our votes is red, red, blue, Democrat, Republican. That's how we cast our votes. But I think the better question to ask is not, Democrat or Republican, but is this candidate willing to solve the problems that I care about? Is this candidate willing to listen to the other side? Is this candidate, even if I disagree with them, show up with curiosity and open-mindedness? Are they, I don't know, uh, willing to take the hard vote because they think that it'll actually solve a problem as opposed to playing politics? I think that's how we have to align the incentive structures. And no, don't lose me on this story because it's about President Trump. This is not about the right and the left. This problem is endemic across society. Right now, we see the border bill being and the immigration bill being halted because President Trump is playing politics. Don't worry. In a week, in a month, you'll pro- maybe even tomorrow, you might see a similar act happening on the on the left because our politicians are incentivized to win elections and play to the base. They're not incentivized to listen to you, and you have a voice. Story number three. Story number three. Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin. Now, let me be honest. I'm recording this before the interview is actually released. So I don't actually know the substance of the interview. So you're like, well, Manu, wouldn't it make sense to actually listen to the damn interview before talking about it? Well, here's the deal. I think there's actually a bigger story to this 
that has very little to do with whether or not the interview should be happening, but more about how you perceive the story. So what do I mean by that? I want to just quickly outline when I go on you know, X or see the news coverage, here's what I generally see on the pro side for why Tucker Carlson should be interviewing Putin. People say, well, Putin should be interviewed because we got to listen to him. He's a major global leader. He's leading a country that is an active hot war. We got to hear his voice. Second, people say that it's important to understand the Russian perspective. Even if it's a falsehood, understanding the perspective helps us be better at strategy towards that country. Why not talk to our enemies at the possibility of negotiation? The con. Why don't people want this interview to happen? Well, a lot of people are going to say, well, why was Tucker actually even given access to Putin? He's denied access to many other news outlets. Christian Amanpour was talking about this on CNN. So why is Putin allowing Tucker into his den? Well, maybe because he might have an aligned agenda. That's what folks might speculate. And the second is people are curious whether or not this actually is an opportunity for Putin to push an agenda. Is he just going to get on this interview and you know, he knows that Tucker, you know, might be aligned with his worldview. And so he sees this as an opportunity to push an agenda against the Ukrainians, maybe. But I want to take a step back because that debate is important. And you might agree with some of those arguments. You might disagree with some of those arguments. But here's what the hopeful majority is about. The hopeful majority and the people in the hopeful majority are about trying to understand where they stand on these news stories without trying to see where their party is. The reason I'm bringing this up is because this is just one, the Tucker Carlson, whether or not you should interview Putin and where you stand on that is just one more example of people moving and taking positions based on what their party and their group says, as opposed to thinking for themselves. The amount of takes I've seen about whether or not this should happen on Twitter, where people are just parroting the same talking points on their side and thinking, well, my position on this is, is the position that you know, everybody on my group is taking, so I'm going to say that position. And yet, I see very little actual nuanced discussion about the merits of this, because most people like you and I that are just listening to this, we ought to be open-minded when these stories break. When a story breaks, Tucker Carlson interviewing Putin, it shouldn't immediately be, what are the Democrats saying? What are the Republicans saying? I'm going to take their side, and boom, we got conflict. It should be, hmm. Let me read some of the stories. Why are some people saying he should be interviewed? Why are some people saying he shouldn't be interviewed? Let me let me take some news information. Let me maybe mix up my media diet a little bit, you know? Let me let me actually try and get a little diverse with what I'm intaking so I can have an informed opinion. And that's the key. That's the key. We today look at stories and make up our minds, not because that's what we think, but oftentimes because it's what our group tells us to think. And the more we follow groupthink at a moment where we need every one of us to be critical and open-minded and to be curious and to be humble with our beliefs, we cannot go within the direction that the wind blows. Instead, we got to think for ourselves. Because if we as individuals think for ourselves, then our politicians are going to think for themselves. You know why? Because they know that if you're thinking for the yourself, that's the type of behavior that you're going to reward. And that's how we change the incentive structures in this country. Vote for the behaviors that we want to see. This is not about left, right anymore, I think. I think our politics are divided on a new line. And I think that line is what unites most of us listening to the show. That line is between temperament, mindset, behavior. It's about whether or not we're willing to be open-minded or close-minded, whether or not we are willing to give people that, that disagree with us a chance to be better or not, whether or not we're willing to actually understand why somebody that is different than us believes what they believe. So the Super Bowl 
Three stories. Three very different stories. A Super Bowl, which is about building an identity bigger than our parties, our political parties. That the event is an action-forcing mechanism for everybody from upstate New York to downstate Texas to the foothills of Louisiana, to uh, the foothills of California, to the plains of the Midwest, all coming together because they love something, love a sport, love an event, and they do it because it has nothing to do with their politics, but they do it because they enjoy it. I think that's what makes something like the Super Bowl powerful. Border bill, not moving through because a former president's got to play politics and put politics above solving problems. And this is not just about President Trump, as I said. This is about the system. Our politicians don't have incentives to actually solve problems because they got to win elections. And the reason why they got to win elections is because they know they can play on your fear. They know that it's easy. And then this one, Tucker Carlson, Putin. But more importantly, it's not about whether or not Tucker Carlson should be interviewing Putin. This is much more of an example of how do we make up our minds when we see stories. And that are the three takes. Those are the three takes of the show today. Can we build an identity bigger than our party that brings people together? Can we focus on actually solving our problems as opposed to focusing on politics? And can we look at and understand news stories and see them for what they are and to have a diverse media diet so that we're informed as opposed to just taking a position on an issue because that's what our group thinks? If we do these three things, man, we can change a lot. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Every Monday. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. Next week and the week after, we're going to be back to our regular programming of having a guest and actually talking to them about what they think, what their ideas are. We've had all types of people like Andrew Yang, Vivek Ramaswamy, Marianne Williamson. We've got intellectuals like David Gergen. We've got authors. And most importantly, you're going to be hearing a lot more stories of those amazing bridge builders, those people that are actually trying to bring our country together. I appreciate you, you and I together. We're going to build this hopeful majority because we're going to fight nuance. We're going to build a world in which we can listen to each other, be complex in our thinking. Because it's time to, to put away with the outrage and choose nuance because that's how we actually solve a problem. So I appreciate you. I'll see you next week. Let's cue the close.